0: The Guardian. Media Talk is brought to you by the Marketing Agencies Association's Best Awards. To celebrate British marketing and advertising excellence, head to guardian.co.uk slash best awards.
1: Hello, I'm Matt Wells, so this must be Media Talk coming
2: up. A new generation has taken charge of labour. We are the optimist, and together, we will change Britain.
1: After a week of millidrama, we look at the media reaction to the rise of Red Ed, also in the podcast.
0: Girls and boys, you're fine. It's all about me. <laughs> Would you like to see me do some rapping? I've got to text the oven up. Thanks for a lovely night. Speak soon. There's no kiss. It's all in lowercase. case. So played it cool. Texted back. I love you. Don't make me cut myself. Are you happy with
1: the portrayal of gays on TV? Plus... We look at Jeremy Hunt's plans to beef up Britain's network of local TV stations, only briefly, mind. And The Apprentice returns after an 18-month absence. We look ahead to the next job interview from hell.
3: I mean, they're all as bad as each other, quite honestly.
1: This is Media Talk from The Guardian. Now, this week, uh, Russell Brand celebrated his upcoming uh, marriage to Katy Perry with a stag do, which, by all accounts, was a surprisingly low-key affair. Just as well, he didn't invite either of our two guests, or, or me either, for that matter. Uh, here in the pod, I've got John Plunkett, who's Media Guardian's radio correspondent, and uh, Paul Robinson, the managing director of Kidsco TV. John, I
4: imagine your stag do was, was a, a lot, much more lively. Uh, yeah, I, was, I went to, and uh, my stag do was in Padstow. In Cornwall, and the barmaid uh, memorably uh, said to us that it was the most boring stag do she'd ever seen in her pub. <laughs> so that was uh, it's better that than being the second most boring. I guess uh, that, that but, uh,
1: is true. At least you, were, you I know, had lots of fun, I should point out. Yeah, there was, was there not surfing involved. I think there was surfing.
4: Yeah pictures um
1: paul uh, you you can usually wangle your way into most parties though can't you but um, you weren't invited to this one no i wasn't uh, oh, hey you know sometimes yeah. matt you know i think i was washing my hair that night probably yes uh, anyway uh, russell's big night uh, out may have left the showbiz pages nonplussed but the news editors have certainly got their money's worth from this chap
2: i relish the chance to take on david cameron <laughs> we may be of a similar age But in my values and ideals, I'm of a different and new generation. The new generation is not not simply defined by age, but by attitudes and ideals. And there is a defining difference between us and David Cameron. And that is optimism. Let the message go out. A new generation has taken charge of labor. Optimistic about our country. Optimistic about our world optimistic about the power of politics. We are the optimists, and together we will change Britain. Thank you very much. That's Ed
1: Miliband, the new leader of the Labour Party, speaking in Manchester at the party's annual conference. Now, his election as leader caught much of the media off guard, not least the BBC's Nick Robinson, who declared Ed's brother David as the winner of the leadership contest just seconds before it was revealed he finished runner-up. That kick-started days of will-he-won't-he stories about David's political future, while the press began hurriedly constructing the character of Red Ed. Well, Dan Saber is a former media editor at the Times, and he was also campaign manager for Una King, who was standing for the Labour nomination for London Mayor. He was in Manchester for the Labour conference. I asked him about the moment that Ed was elected leader and how it was all a bit X-factor.
3: Almost an X-factor moment. It could have, would have been better if it was an X-factor <laughs> moment, though I think, Matt, because at least then we could have it understood the result. I mean, it took ages for the result to be read out. It was read out in all sorts of parts. You couldn't understand what was going on. There were no on-screen graphics (laughs) at the time. And whilst we were getting... Elimination after elimination, I I initially, with a stupendous mass, called it for David, only to realise it was, in fact, Ed. Well, was, was of course,
1: so did Nick Robinson, didn't he? Why did he do that 20 seconds before the real result was, were, was about to be announced? He, co- he called it. Even the decision of calling it, I thought, was a bit odd.
3: It, it, it was a bit, although I must admit I shouted out the screen because when I heard the... David's percentage of the members vote which I think was 18 I thought Ed couldn't call it back on the unions and there we are um, uh, but that's what happens when you try and do some, when, when journalists try to do some so look I think it was a bit of bad judgement on his part but it's, you know, it's one that, uh, that, that viewers will quickly forgive but I, I was just very, what I was very surprised by was that the party didn't provide Graphics and, and straight to the BBC. In fact, it was quite a long time, maybe even 20, 30 minutes before the BBC was really putting up the graphical information as per the result. You know, you wouldn't have had that in a in a general election. You would have known how many votes, the percentages, and the swing very quickly in a key seat.
1: They should have called Talk Back Thames in to, or to executive produce it for them, shouldn't they, yeah, the uh, uh, Labour Party?
3: I think Ed. I think Ed was complaining about X Factor politics. I think it's exactly what I would say. Just the reverse. I think it's exactly what he needs. Uh, I think the reality is that, you know, TV is the kind of television is the humanising medium. And if you want an example of that over the course of the conference, look at. uh, uh, look at the sort of what happened with David Miliband particularly actually on the day he lost and the day after uh, not so much David but the extraordinary performance of his wife Louise Shackleton who was very, very much a sort of loyal and doting wife had love, love, for, love for him in her eyes was you know, upset for him and, and very moved by everything he did and I thought that was the single most moving and humanising thing I'd ever seen about David Miliband in all his years in high-level politics, it, it made for me him a very warm character. And the absence of Justin Thornton, a real demerit for Ed, actually. Mm.
1: Um, and then the, what about the, the the media reactions to the result itself? I mean, totally predictable. Suddenly, suddenly David Miliband becomes the the most genius politician in Labour hi- history ever, and uh, and there's this rush to define Ed as Red Ed, isn't there? I thought that was all. Don't quite...
3: we love the lo- Don't we love the loser? Eh? Uh, it, it won't last. and I think David is sort of somewhat for- is on the verge of forfeiting his sympathy, just in sort of broad political terms. Yeah, I think the media, the media action is pretty predictable in the sense that I don't think anyone's going to sort of change their their, their take on the Labour Party right now. I think the significant one, and there's probably the Sun, although also the most predictable. You know, News International has really shifted very firmly into the Conservative camp. Uh, it's sort of congen- consistent use of the, the red ed tag uh, in, the, in the wake of the leader's speech. And, and yesterday, in, in, in Wednesday's paper, makes it quite clear that... Uh, you know, new, you know, news is wanting to sort of judge the man early on and sort of box him into a bit of a corner. Uh, I think the slightly more interesting actually was on the Daily Mail, which at least gave um, uh, Justine a good write-up also on Wednesday. And uh, you know, while you may not think this is profound politics. Uh, uh, the fact that the mayor was willing to sort of describe her, I think, with this sort of game in hairdo of looking rather like Emma Watson, which is sort of nice for any woman uh, uh, aged 40, uh, I think that just shows a little more openness and a little more sympathy to the sort of brand ed so
1: where where does it all go from here do you think in terms of the of because of, of, because it was interesting in the early years of blair the papers tried to stick this bambi tag on which didn't didn't last very long do you think that red ed will last last for very long
3: it really depends what happens he's got clearly got a period of grace uh you know and probably a fairly long one given how far away the election is i mean maybe 18 months two years uh uh, and although, you know, the Sun in particular is sort of trying to push a, you know, push a label on him, uh, his actions will sort of, his perception and his poll rating will sort of, you know, really define, really will define the narrative, I think. And I think, you know, ultimately, it's those poll figures that I think really define the sort of media's position.
1: Uh, because, because the press like to back a winner? Is, is, is yeah. that it? And, uh, and, and they can scent you know, a loser?
3: Yeah, I think that's right. And you know, and, and perception that kind of perception counts. It's like it's like share prices for companies with financial journalists. There's one thing you can't fake. You can't fake the poll ratings. And if you, you know, if he's riding at 40%, then he will get you know, he will get a good press and I think certainly news international won't want to sort of define him too negatively at that point. But if he sort of, you know, Labour's sort of trending at sort of 30 percent they can quite cheerfully go for the kill because they know that's where the you know, that's where the public is.
0: Media talk.
1: Dan Saber, there. Uh, you can read more from him at the excellent Beehive City a Media News w- website. Um, Paul Robinson, the, the picking up the, on Dan's point about. The, uh, the press giving Ed Miliband an 18 month period of grace I'm not absolutely sure that that's right, I think they'll go for him pretty, pretty quickly and they're already portraying him as some kind of Kinnick figure aren't they?
5: Well I think the way Neil Kinnock has been such high profile has been very interesting in this campaign and it absolutely sort of says new Labour is dead and we've almost gone back to the old Labour party and it certainly makes it much easier for journalists to write that 18 months is a very very long time in politics he's not going to have 18 months, he's got 6 months I'd have thought to really prove his worth
1: Yeah, um, uh, John, uh, John Know, have you been? Were, were you watching on on Saturday afternoon for that, uh, or, or were you watching the real X Factor?
4: I was uh, no, I was at a fortieth birthday party, which right. is a, it's peril of my age. So yeah. They all they all come at once. But um, yeah, I think it was the, the sort of shortest honeymoon period in history. You know, even, even at the moment when he was elected, the the questions were already being asked about David Miliband. and uh, his very election seemed to get seemed to get lost in some of the news coverage. And hmm. certainly, listening to the uh, listening to fire live on my way home from the from the uh, the chili barbecue. And um, uh, John Pena had a, a reporter in from the Daily Telegraph, and the, the, the point they were making was exactly that about, uh, you know, did they let the wrong guy?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it has been, it has though been a conference of media moments, uh, Paul, hasn't it? Because as well as that one, there was the cutaway shots to David Miliband during Ed Miliband's big l- leader speech which was amazing yes. that, like, you know, and he just couldn't help himself wasn't it? it was just an amazing shot as well obviously getting the lip readers to I think that was seeing the real
5: Miliband wasn't yeah. it because he, he clearly didn't know it was going to get picked up in the way it did he clearly was pissed with her for actually applauding yeah. uh, and, and picked her up and of course then that defined all the coverage I think what's extraordinary is you know, even though Ed won my god you know, David's got the coverage and David's got the coverage now the question is David's now going to disappear, isn't he? The question for David now is what's he going to do?
1: I mean, this is an interesting story now. Next week it's old news. It'll all be about Ed you can imagine how it would have gone john uh, the sort of um, the psychodrama the, this new word psychodrama where's the where did that come from that's a new thing i've Ch- completely learned this week channel 4 should commission one straight away <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes i've just been appointed the new head of psychodrama <laughs> <laughs> um it would have given the press a real narrative wouldn't it had that had the two brothers still be uh, carried carried on in politics and clearly david really realized that was the case and bad
4: out, it would have run and run yes and uh, clearly david milliband wants to disappear from the scene i'd be interesting to see how much, uh, uh, how much the, the media sort of lets him disappear from sight. Mm, yeah, but it, well, it depends what kind of job he
1: gets, really. If he goes for some low-profile visiting professorship at harvard then then we might not see seem for very long might, well, look at we, william haig
5: that might be the yeah. model
1: he might go away and make some money write a book. and write a book and then come back yeah. Yeah. we haven't seen the last of david Miliband, no. that's for sure okay excellent uh, are, we, are we happy about that i don't know you can read more about all of this at guardian.co.uk slash politics and uh, you might also be interested in listening to our politics weekly podcast uh, too and not just because it's also presented by me this week I'm Matt Wells. You're listening to Media Talk, and we should probably talk about some of the other uh, big powers that took place this week. The Royal Television Society's international conference was held, uh, well, in London. Where else? Obviously, the highlights included Adam Crozier outlining his plans for ITV's move into online pay TV, and Culture Secretary Jeremy Hunt detailing his vision for ultra local television. Let's start with Hunt. This is this um, John Plunker. This is the big idea that he's been banging on about for years. That you know that. Birmingham, Alabama, isn't it? House, <laughs> Birmingham, Alabama has six It uh, has eight, eight local stations. Is it a eight? Population of 230,000 right. people, yeah. I thought it was six. But maybe um, it's six. Uh, maybe, they, maybe they've shut down. <laughs> but
4: um, uh, he, he's driving it forward, isn't he? This I really want it to either work or not work, just so we don't have to hear his Birmingham versus Birmingham yeah. comparison once again. Yeah, he's certainly not lacking enthusiasm for it, but um, it is hard to see uh, where these local TV stations are, uh, are going to come from. Our, our local newspapers is going to want to diversify into television, unlikely considering that they're already up against it. And uh, what we've seen of national broadcasters, they are moving away from regional TV, not getting into it. And uh, the few examples we have seen of, uh, of city TV, such as um, Channel M, for instance, uh, for instance in, in Manchester, have had a really tough time.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, G- uh, GMG sold it, and, tr- and Trinity Mirror has been asset stripping it, hasn't it? I say asset hasn't going assets to strip, it's been it's been trying to reduce the cost base, Paul, because because this is the whole point of it is is local TV is there a commercial model? Because because the only ones that I can see are are around are sort of collectives and 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 run by volunteers aren't they well exactly it's certainly not going to work if you think about how television is run at the moment if you're a legacy
5: broadcaster and you try and set up a tv station along conventional lines there is no way you're going to make any money out of it look i mean we can't make local radio work in the commercial marketplace so how local tv can work locally uh, is even more challenging i think they've got to think differently and there's all sorts of things that could be done i mean for example shooting uh, with maybe reporters who are doing news stories at the same time same time for newspapers or radio stations editing on laptops so forget big studios you know so it might be a bit raw a bit rough and ready and then think about sustaining services because clearly if you're if you're telling a story in manchester that's irrelevant if you're in glasgow so what you to do is find some way of bringing together a sort of pseudo network mm. i'm using radio analogies again here but i think it's interesting if you can find a way of creating some sort of sustaining service you might be able to make a decent you know one hour or two hour news program daily in major cities um, advertising revenue yes of course because uh, there's some there but it's going to have to be on a completely different cost base mm.
1: okay well we'll, we'll see how, how it all works out uh, uh, onto those digital pioneers itv um adam crozier says it's time for the network to experiment with pay tv john doesn't he I mean, have you seen this proposal that he's uh, come up with for charging for uh, online only alternative endings t- to coronation street i think there's a fatal flaw <laughs> there's no flaw in this in that, in that in that coronation street doesn't have an ending
4: Yeah, I'm not a huge soap fan, but when I did used to watch EastEnders and Neighbours, I quite liked the idea that there was one ending Mm -hmm. and only only one thing happened. Um, And, uh, you know, I never bought into the kind of, uh, I think it's... uh uh, that the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics which is what he's touching on here I think
1: uh, and uh, yes he I mean, is well, 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 well perhaps well talking about quantum mechanics where, it, where this comes into it it's, you know, it might work for like Doctor Who or something you, you, yeah. where you could have a you know, you, where you could conceivably have do you, do you remember those books that, that, that had alternative endings or that I was you was a big fan you could follow, the, you could follow different storylines by turning to what happens now turn it's, to page
4: you know. it was like Dungeons and Dragons for people who had no friends yeah <laughs> I had I, 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 the entire collection but uh, yeah I, I don't think alternative endings work I don't want to see uh, you know, one person set fire to the Queen Vic um, on my TV set, and then switch online and find out it was someone else entirely. You need to have some kind of consistency, Good. and I would want to pay for that confusion. Certainly, <laughs> I, I, I would pay not to have the alternative ending, so I know what the hell's going on. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Well, well, we'll, we'll see. Um, do you think that? I mean, Adam is
1: hes on the right lines, isn't he? Uh, he is porn. but it's almost like it's almost like adam is sort of uh trying
5: to do this from five years back you yeah. know i mean we're, we're looking for something new from adam it's almost like he's desperate to tell us something fresh and new and you know it's a serial so alternative endings don't work by definition well, yeah. and people don't care enough to pay so hey interesting idea but this is not going to transform ITV. and the pay tv thing i think they've done that before haven't they and i think it didn't work out uh, can't too well r- i so yeah i mean look they're, they're, there's something coming but it's not this i don't think yeah. what okay. about
4: what about x-rated version of soaps x-rated curry. <laughs> yes, so, yes, so when, without clothes? Oh, so, God, no. <laughs> no, they, no, please. Maybe not Coronation Street, but when, poly- they, when poly- they shut poly- the poly- 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 door. maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> OK. Yeah.
1: Listen, uh, we'll come back to TV later on. Let's uh, do a bit of radio. Bob Shannon has told Tony Blackburn he can't work for Radio 2 and Smooth. Tony Blackburn, of course, is coming to present um, Pick of the Pops on Radio 2.
4: It means he's going to have to give up his Smooth breakfast show. Is that, is that a, a bit unfair, John? It's a bit tough in the sense that I believe Pick of the Pops is pre-recorded, or there's no reason why it shouldn't be, so he could actually do both. But I think this is a reflection... Uh, uh, partly that Smooth Radio is going national, so it's, it's intent on taking away Radio 2 listeners, and the fact that maybe Radio 2 is taking commercial radio seriously now, and there's clearly a bit of rivalry, rivalry there, so they've, um, they've they've taken them away, yeah.
1: Uh, Andy Parfitt, the controller of Radio 1, was talking to journalists at the Broadcasting Press Guild this week. Were you there, John?
4: I was indeed. He's got a beard, I can reveal, yeah. A beard? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. What's her name? What's, what's her name? <laughs> <laughs> no, an, an actual beard. Is, of course not. Is, is it a?
1: Is it
4: sort of grey? Um, is it a full beard so three th- times Thompson yeah so it's a proper beard yeah gosh
1: gosh, that's no, 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 no. So no, no, no. sort of
4: castaway-esque um, that's, the, that's the big news that's um, the big news what did he have to say on uh, Chris Moyles uh, well he said that Moyles uh, hadn't crossed the line uh, and if he did cross the line he'd have had words with him uh, and he said he could count the f- on the fingers of one hand and possibly even two or three fingers the amount of times that he thought Moles had uh, transgressed and, and been censured by the trust or Ofcom. Yeah. Uh, and um, he thought it's a perfectly reasonable uh, thing to bring up, the fact he hadn't been paid. And he was concerned he hadn't been paid, went for a drink and sorted it out for himself. I so. think that's really, really unacceptable. <laughs> I, mean, mean, I, I, I really do. I mean, You used you to know, work at Radio I, 1. I, so I your did. view
1: is, uh, is, well, is, is you you know, know, pertinent.
5: I, I think you know, maybe he didn't transgress any broadcasting codes, but he certainly transgressed the relationship with his audience. You know, most of his listeners are on a fraction of the half million a year that Moyles earns. So by talking about his pay, he's actually distancing himself from his audience. You know, the average person going to think, I don't care the fact Moyles, this very rich guy, hasn't been paid. It's not relevant to me. And, you know, you, that protest too much. That's the first point. The second point is, I think Moyles is assuming here he can use BBC airwaves, and this is public service, by the way. He's paid to be a public service entertainment broadcaster, to sort of gone about his own personal problem with the BBC Pay. That's not the purpose of his show. Now, I know Moyles talks about life in general, but that was... Real blatant exploitation of BBC Airways for his own ends, and that's
1: wrong. There was a very interesting paragraph in Private Eye this week, which mentioned that he, during the, all of that rant, he played a, the intro theme to his show and and the bed for most most of that time. So it went on for you know a good good, good twenty minutes. Would you like to know who the uh, co composer of that bed is and who uh, therefore very gets much so, yes. royalties one C Miles. Ah, there you mm. go. So he earned money while complaining yes. about
5: yeah. Interesting, isn't it? I mean, the other thing is, if you're earning £500,000 a year, surely you can go from month to month without worrying about not getting your paycheck. Well, quite
1: exactly. Now, 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 now over at Global... you know no much. much. <laughs> <laughs> That's the vast salary that I want. Um, the, uh, now, over at Global, Andy Ashton is re- returning to XFM as programme director. Is that, uh, um, is that good news?
4: Well, he was sort of there in the uh, what you would call in vertical, I suppose, glory days of XFM, had them sort of four or five years ago. Um, and he, he comes back to a, a station slightly different to when he left because then it had one extra uh, i think there were three xfms now there are two and it's also got about one hundred thousand, one hundred and fifty thousand hundred thousand, hundred and fifty thousand fewer listeners than it did when he left four years ago and you think really given digital penetrations going up they should the audience should have gone the other way around so yeah. i think it's got it all to do
5: xfm is sort of a brand that had fantastic hope uh, about two years ago and somehow seems to have got sort of marooned doesn't it and gone nowhere and i think if you talk to Ashley Tabor the the head of global radio he'll say that XFM's a brand they're now getting round to you know they're focused on heart they're focused on capital um you know now XFM is next and and XFM's got great potential i mean XFM should be another weapon in the armory against to be radio one and, and so you know someone like Andy might be the guy to actually put some energy into it and put some passion into it it's what it needs
1: well you mentioned uh, Ashley Tabor uh, Paul and he's going to be on the stage at the radio festival in in a few weeks time we're going to and you're going to be on our panel for our show up there um, it is that I think I'm right in saying that it's probably the first time, or the first high profile uh, outing for Ashley Table on, on, on a big sort of panel with, you know, his peers. Yeah, I mean,
5: Ashley doesn't do many interviews. I and mean, I know, John, you spoke to him fairly recently, you did an interview with him, I think, didn't you? I did, yeah. Uh, yep. Over the Capitol story. But Ashley doesn't do many interviews. I mean, he is. Uh, one of the brightest uh, young executives in the media industry, I think. And in radio, he is probably the, the brightest. And uh, he's, uh, I think, tremendous news for commercial radio. Ashley Tabor is the best
4: ad there is for commercial radio in the UK.
1: Well, what was he like when you met him?
4: Uh, he was all right, yeah. We had a good chat. Touched on Capital. Touched a bit on the BBC. Um, and he's so under 40. Way under 40. He's way under 40, yeah. thirty. yeah. Three, I Barely out of 30. Ridiculous. Yeah. And he used to be Chris Moore's flatmate, which, yeah. Oh, right. You know, a fact you can't repeat too often.
1: No, no. Do you know, I have a feeling he... Co-wrote the theme tune of the X Factor, is that right? Uh, he, there's definitely well, actually,
5: Ashley started with a musical background. Yeah, and of course. One his big these band shows. now is the Wanted, who's his band, of right,
1: course. Right, right, right. Uh, well, there's one, I think it might be the X Factor. I, mm, I, yeah, I'm really surprised. He, yeah,
4: well, I once said Ros- Ronnie Hazelhurst co-wrote uh, an S Club Seven tune. Ronnie so. who? <laughs> I'm, right, yeah, I'm keeping Ronnie it. Ronnie <laughs> I'm
1: keeping <laughs> it out of this. Hazelhurst. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's, just, let's leave out there. Um, uh, full details, <laughs> by the way, and uh, rates are, are, and how to book for the Radio Festival at RadioAcademy.org. Um, okay, listen, we'll finish this uh, section with. our a specialist subject
2: you've attacked television you have a headline of you an article you wrote once tv is so obsessively gay it's a wonder the radio times doesn't come with a pink versace cover well i think it is obsessively gay it doesn't mean it's uh, i mean you're homophobic to think that television is a little bit too gay i mean it, when i was a kid now this is gonna i don't sound like i'm going back on down memory lane all the time but when i was a kid our gays were talented I mean, we had Frankie Howard and people like that, Kenny Williams, they were very, very funny guys. Kenny Everett, very, very funny guys. So you don't think there's any gay entertainers that are talented at the moment? I don't say, I don't say there's not any, but I'm saying that a lot of them aren't. They seem to be there as a, as a product of their sexuality rather than as a product of their talent. Graeme Norton, he's very talented. Oh, Graeme Norton's he? very funny. Louis Spence, maybe not so. But, but Louis Spence is a, a, a recent phenomenon anyway. There's no point holding him up against Frankie well, Howard and saying, our oh, gay are not as I mean, talented as they used to be. Well, I think so. I mean, I, I, I liked Alan Carr when he started, but I think Alan Carr's lost the plot of it now, hasn't he? I mean, he's Alan Carr's all over the place. He, I think he's got very lazy very quickly. Has this got anything to do with being gay, or is this just about you thinking some people aren't very talented? I think it's a lot to do with me thinking there's too many people without any talent on television of whom a larger-than-normal percentage are gay.
1: Uh, Now, that was Five Lives, Richard Bacon interviewing John Plunkett. Do you recognise that? Was that That Gary Bushell? It was. From Sid Cut, Kent. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Son's former... TV critic Gary Bush. Now, the reason we're playing that is not because I quite fancy Richard Bacon, but you know, even though I do, but uh, also because a new BBC survey has found out that uh, almost one in five people are uncomfortable with the depiction of gay, lesbian, and bisexual characters on t- TV and radio. This, this, um, John, this is this a uh, report that Tim
4: Davy had been leading into the portrayal of gays on, on TV, wasn't it? Yeah, my initial reaction is that w- one in five probably is not uh, is not bad. That shows it's, it's in rude health. Uh, if uh if you see what I mean, um, yes. <laughs> I don't know if these one in five unhappy because there's too much or too little, or, or uh, but I think if you took any uh, kind of topic, uh, you know, sport on TV or, or comedy, or you know, that's that's not a bad not a bad hit rate. I thought. I mean, personally speaking, I think there's still a long way to go in terms of. Um, uh, in terms of um, the kind of gay characters in dramas and sitcoms.
1: Well, this, this is what the report said, didn't it, didn't it um, uh, Paul? It, it suggested that gay people particularly were not uh, thought that there was quite a way, a way to go in the portrayal of themselves on television and, and, and yeah. the normalisation of that. Uh, and the issue of stereotypes particularly yeah. in, in the sense that uh, uh, gays and lesbians are portrayed
5: in a stereotypical way, you know, sort of screaming men, etc., etc. And, and, and really I think what they're saying is we want to uh, have less sort of extremes and, and less stereotypes. I was interested in reading the comments on, on, uh, on The Guardian... A blog that uh, people were saying actually stereotypes are a good thing because stereotypes at least bring the issues to a fore and it gets people talking about uh, uh, issues like this. But uh, I'm not I'm not sure that's true. I think that we need to have portrayal which is you know right across the spectrum because obviously you know gay people have a range of different behaviours as do straight people mm. and we may maybe not portraying that in media. I think we're still going for those those stereotypes too much. Yeah, I think
4: another point on the on the blog one comment said was that what we need is fewer gay characters and more characters that happen to be gay. It's mm. not their sort of defining right. characteristic.
5: And Say, that, say they're not strong gay entertainers now um, compared to 10 years ago is rubbish. I mean, I like, love that movie. And, because, and
1: uh, you know, our gays,
5: uh, our, uh, our gays uh, yeah. 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 were much more talented. And I, I do not believe anybody actually makes it on TV because they're gay. They make it because they're good and they happen to be gay.
1: Okay, uh, excellent stuff. Um, ha, uh, have you been listening to Richard Bacon much in the afternoon? I haven't. I don't. I, I have. Now, Richard
5: Bacon, of course, I know you've declared your, 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 yeah. your views on Richard Bacon. I now know why you're going to Manchester, of course. Okay. I, I think I think Richard's uh, doing a very good job, actually. Yeah. 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 I think I, and I was skeptical when he started but yeah he, he's sounding very it's, he's sounding sort of fresh but he's got authority it's a great combination mm, good stuff uh, well, well, we'll, I
4: interview Richard Bacon for the uh, coming soon in the Media Guardian section on a Monday oh, right. how was he he was very well he said to me John for you the radio festival must be like your Glastonbury <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah, well, laughs> for less drugs
1: <laughs> few drugs and no tents uh, but plenty, <laughs> plenty of campery um, uh, thank you very much um, John and Paul uh, more of all these stories at mediaguardian.co.uk Finally this week. Uh, does it every time. Lord Sugar's about to begin the new search uh, for his new apprentice again. Uh, returns to BBC One on Wednesday nights from next week. Um, it's, it's become a bit of a media talk uh, st- staple. We're big fans of, of The Apprentice on this, this show. Um, and if you're not a fan, sorry, uh, it's going to get very boring over the next uh, 12 weeks or so. uk's TV editor, Vicky Frost, has seen the first episode, and she thinks this series will prove to be just as good and just as infuriating as ever.
0: I think because it hasn't been on for eighteen months, you sort of forget how brilliant it is, and then they just start with the music, and you think, "Oh gosh, this is brilliant, brilliant." And then they're on this ridiculous sausage trial, <laughs> and they're all just saying ludicrous things about, you know, "I'm going to give it a hundred and billion fifty percent," you know. <laughs> and as soon as they start with the business speak, and uh, Stuart Bagg's in particular, so
1: Stuart Bagg's where he's one of the he's one of the contestants.
0: He's twenty one. And yes, he is, he's
1: bags the brand, isn't he? He's
0: bags the brand, <laughs> and he's beyond ludicrous. So, and he sort of says this thing, you know, I'm a fantastic salesman. Everything I touch turns to sold. <laughs> but he says it totally straight faced. You just know it's going to be Disaster. cracking. Basically, yeah. it's going to be great. And uh, Sir Alan, or in fact Lord Sugar, yes. as he now is, is uh, every bit as grumpy as usual and cross with them, and you know the
1: usual what about But no. well you say the usual but there's the unusual this this time because we've lost Margaret Mountford which is a tragedy she's been replaced by uh, Karen Brady Karen Brady yes whose name I momentarily (laughs) forgot how could I Um, uh, who we did see in Junior Apprentice which I didn't watch because I think Junior Apprentice that's not real Apprentice so I didn't watch that
0: oh it was good though
1: yeah so is she how is she as a replacement
0: well she's not the same as Margaret Mm. she doesn't quite have the eye roll to the same extent and she's not quite as hammy, I think, which, sadly. But I think she's quite good. I think she's probably will get it right. And, you know, she, I think she gives probably quite good advice. She's not as entertaining. She, she is probably more glamorous, you know, swings and roundabouts.
1: <laughs> well, we have to get our entertainment from elsewhere, I suppose. And then I guess it'll be in, in, in the contestants. You mentioned um, Stuart Biggs. There's, uh, there's a few others who, who, are, uh, who we should watch out for, aren't there? Who, who yeah. would you have your money on? Well, well as the one that said his first words when he came out of the moon, <laughs> womb was, well, wasn't was mummy, but money. He, he sounds ridiculous.
0: He does sound ridiculous. He uh, is a, a surgeon who has become a... who wants to be an apprentice. I don't quite understand how it all fits together. Actually, when you see him in the first task, he's a great deal more sensible right. than other people and also seems less likely to have said that than some other people perhaps um there's dan who is um yeah it is quite incredible in the first task shall we say not to spoil it for Mm. anyone but uh yeah, he's like, he, he's like, sort of read a textbook on how to do the apprentice badly and followed <laughs> it word for word.
1: Now, I was looking through the, the Guardian Gallery of uh, Rogues, Gallery of Contestants, and there, there's, some, there's some really quite shocking um, well, hairdos for a start, because there were <laughs> Melissa Cohn for what it looks like Jedward. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, she's probably more ferocious than Jedward. Right. She sort of gets her teeth into the first task. Shall we say?
1: Mm, Okay. I mean, the thing that I think is dangerous about this show, and possibly might happen that the series is the whole jumping the shark thing. But has it, uh you know, become? Could it become a parody parody of itself? Um, We've watched the first episode. I mean, I think. Do you think we're all right on that score?
0: I think the format's pretty strong, and I think it never really took itself that seriously. Anyway, I mean, the (laughs) candidates have always been there to laugh at because they've always been ludicrous. Uh, They're getting. More ludicrous. And and interestingly, at the launch, sort of Nick Hewer was saying, somebody said to him, you know, are the candidates getting better? And he said... No, every year they come and they seem to have never seen the show before. You know, they just don't understand how they don't seem to have looked and seen what makes you lose. Um, so I, I kind of think it can almost it doesn't rely in the same way on sort of freshening up. It's fine if it's ridiculous, and Alan Sugar can never be anything but ridiculous. No, that's
1: true. Um, uh, the other thing that we always watch on Media Talk is uh, MasterChef. Uh-huh. Now the Professionals is back on, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, a it's, it's as if it's only but celebrity. MasterChef has just finished what are they doing the, Chef-
0: I don't know I think they've got a bit of a death wish with MasterChef it's, you know, it's a great programme but they seem determined to put it on every channel every night all the time until we all get sick of it it's a shame, but Michelle. I think the professionals is my favorite, essentially, because I do like Michelle Wu Junior, Junior. or someone called him Junior Mich- Junior Wu the other <laughs> night, which was hilarious. Uh, old Laser Eyes, we call him in our house. He could melt you with his stare.
1: <laughs> yes, he <you> could. <laughs> well, I'm glad that I'm glad that's back. Vicky Frost, thank you very much. Thank you, Vicky Frost. There, the new series of The Apprentice, uh, featuring that sausage-based task. Uh, starts as we've said next week on BBC One. Uh, we've also put a link to the gallery of all the new candidates on our blog. Not many lookers in there this year. Um, l- uh, now, well, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, well cool. oh, they're just they're sort of a bit of a rogues gallery. Um, that's it for this week. We must share something that we've learnt from the last seven days in our busy
4: media lives. John, wh- wh- what have you been up to? Well, just related to the um, survey of people's uh, attitudes towards uh, gay gay people on TV. Oh, yes. Uh, Apparently the first British sitcom to feature a gay couple in a non-camp fashion was uh, Agony on ITV in 1979.
1: I thought we would enjoy that fact. I watched that, Agony, but I don't remember that. Do you remember that? Gay
4: storyline in that. My source is Wikipedia.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It had a very good um, theme to it. I'm trying to remember. I can picture her now. Uh, the, the actress who was the oh it Maureen was Lippman. Uh, Maureen Lipman that's right yeah and I, 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 yes I used to watch that mm, very good but, but perhaps perhaps that's that's potentially We're, not true potentially not true I think it, I think you may be right uh, Paul what, what have you been up to I answer to any name it's okay um, well I,
5: I, I was watching uh, Reginald Perrin and realising how bad Martin Clunes is so I went to YouTube and I started watching um, Lena Rossiter oh yes and realised how brilliant it was and yeah. of course back to the the, uh, the gay and lesbian thing of course Super Smashing which was yes. so brilliant in that, in that original show. It, now, all I'm hoping for this week, Matt, is no volcanic ash with Ken.
1: No, uh, hopefully not. Hopefully not. <laughs> No, that would, that would be a disaster. Um, no, uh, well, I, I learned that the residents of Leighton Buzzard have been using the, um, the voice of John Humphreys to scare off uh, deer from their allotments. Oh yeah, they've been <laughs> I played, know, they had lotmen today. <laughs> they do have a lot and they've been really? playing tapes of the today programme. Did it work? Well, I don't know. Uh, it's unclear. It wasn't. It didn't. It didn't. The, the, it didn't say in the story. Uh, thank you very much to John Plunkett and Paul Robinson. You can post your feedback on everything that you've heard on uh, on our page on the website. That's gardencouk slash mediatalk, or just follow me on Twitter. Uh, mediatalk is produced by Ben Green. Uh, he's he's on holiday next week, so who knows how the show will sound? <laughs> Probably a lot better, I should imagine. <laughs> I'm Matt Wells. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.
0: For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.